This morning, we are in Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 80. Luke chapter 1, verses 57 through 80. And we're looking at the birth of John the Baptist and as we continue through the gospel of Luke. We'll see his birth and then a song of praise. Often in the scriptures we have songs where the Lord will cause someone to break forth into a psalm or a song. We saw one from Mary a couple of weeks ago and again today from Zechariah. So please stand to honor the Lord as we read his word this morning. Luke chapter 1 verses 57 through 80. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet, and he wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered, and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Verse 67, and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare prepare his ways to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in the spirit and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance in Israel. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. So if you remember back a few weeks, Zechariah was visited by the angel Gabriel when he was doing his temple service and the angel told him that they were going to be with child and that he should name the child John and Zechariah did not believe these things. If you remember back, and and the penalty for him not having faith and not believing the word of the angel Gabriel at that time was that he would be mute, that he would not be able to speak until the time that the word of the Lord was fulfilled. And so now we've reached that point in the story. And so John is born. And when he is born, it comes to the time of being named, and uh, Elizabeth says his name's going to be John. Well, nobody in the family's name is John. So they're like, why are we naming him John? And so they go to Zechariah, who still cannot speak at this time, and he writes it out. His name's going to be John. And so by doing that, what does Zechariah do? He obeys God. God told him, this is what you're going to name him. Get it done. And when he names him that and he obeys the Lord, this discipline is removed from him. 
and he's able to speak. And what does he do? He, he uh, begins, he's filled by the Holy Spirit and speaks this beautiful psalm that we see here, this, this utterance of praise in verse 68 through 79. John the Baptist, uh, the, the forerunner of the Messiah, he who would go before Jesus and preach that the Messiah was to come is now born. And when this happens, Zechariah obeys and his discipline is removed. And so what I want us to notice here before we move on is this receiving and removing of discipline, if you will. This is not something we speak about often, but the scriptures are very clear. Hebrews 12 says that the Lord disciplines those that he loves. And the discipline of the Lord in Hebrews 12 is compared directly to the way that we discipline our children. Every parent knows that if you will let your child just do anything that you want them to do, that an undisciplined child will not turn out well. Disciplining our children is for their own good. It helps to shape their character and cultivate good things and tamp down bad things. And the Lord God does the same thing with us as his children. He disciplines us as we need discipline in order to shape our character. So for Zechariah, it took nine months of being silent and not being able to speak. But during that time, we see that he built a resolve to follow after the Lord. Anytime we come under discipline, we can go one of two different directions. And we know this with our children. Sometimes when we discipline our children, they take that discipline and there's growth in their character and change in the right direction. But what's the other way that can happen when we discipline our children? Is that they reject that discipline and they don't want to hear what we have to say and they press against it and rebel against it even more. And then we have to come back and discipline again and we pray that God will bring the heart change, that that discipline will eventually take root and cause growth in their character. And so thankfully for Zechariah, the discipline of the Lord brings good fruit. It changes him and he is resolved now to follow the Lord and sings a song of praise to him, as we see in verses 68 and 69. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. So when he gets his voice back, the first thing he does is he starts praising the Lord with that voice. So God is good. He cares for us. He disciplines us as we need because we are his children that he loves. But let's move on, because our focus today is going to be on one particular part of this passage, and that's the second part of verse 66. So what has happened is we have a miraculous birth. Elizabeth, in her older age, bearing a child, this angelic announcement, this muting of Zechariah, and then his unmuting, and people know there's something going on here that is way out of the ordinary. They know it is a work of the Lord. And so in verse 66, it says, All who heard them uh, laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. That phrase is very important. The hand of the Lord was with him. What does it mean for the hand of the Lord to be upon someone. And I want to look at this in depth this morning. For someone to say that the hand of the Lord is with you is to say that there is something good and accomplished about your life that cannot be explained by your talent, wealth, or circumstance. There's something else going on in your life that cannot be explained by summing together all the parts and pieces of your life. That there is something else, and that is God. God is at work, and it's obvious in your life. What is happening in your life or through your life can only be explained by the work of God or the hand or favor of God being upon you. This leads directly to people making much of the Lord instead of making much of you. 
When they know that what you just did is related to your talent or to your wealth or to your abilities, they praise you and they pat you on the back and they say, man, you are fantastic and that was amazing that you did that. But when they look at the circumstance and say, I can't explain this by this person's ability. There's something else going on here. And then we begin to worship and make much of God. It turns the hearts away from people and to the Lord. People praising the Lord, not praising you. People seeking to know Jesus and be more like Jesus, not to be more like you. The Lord blesses the lives of people who love him so that his name will be lifted up. That's what we're doing here. We are seeking to live our lives in such a way that the favor of the Lord is on our life so that people look at us and they don't make much of us. They make much of the Lord God. That our life points people to the Lord. May the hand of the Lord be upon us. Well, what does it mean for the hand of the Lord to be on someone's life? The scriptures talk about it in two different ways, a negative way and a positive way. What we have here is a positive way, but if we look at it in a negative way, there are many examples in the scriptures where the hand of the Lord is against someone. So if you turn to 2 Kings, I'm like, you don't have to turn there, but there's going to be a lot of references this morning. But in 2 Kings chapter 8, we have a very interesting and well-known story of Elisha and the king of Syria. And the Lord keeps revealing to Elisha what the movements of the Syrian army is going to be, because that's the enemies of Israel. And every time the Syrian king moves his, moves his, uh, his army, he, the Lord tells Elijah, Elijah tells the king, and they counter him. And they keep countering them perfectly until the king of Syria says, what is going on here? We must have a traitor. Because every time we move, they know exactly what's going on. And then it comes to light that, no, Elijah is telling the king of Israel what's going on because the hand of God is against us. And no matter what they do, they can't counter it because the hand of the Lord is against them. And woe be unto you if God is working against you, because nothing that you do will work out if God is against you. Probably the greatest example of this in all the Bible is the plagues of Egypt, where the Lord has determined to release his people, Israel, from bondage. And so he sends a series of plagues to basically destroy the country of Egypt until they let these people loose. And the hand of the Lord is against them until his will is accomplished of those people being sent out from Egypt. So the hand of the Lord can be against us, but we pray for the blessing of the Lord, for the hand of the Lord to be with us, for the favor of God to rest upon our lives. For when the Lord is working through a person's life to accomplish his will, in the same manner, it cannot be stopped. So just like the Lord, when he is against someone, they cannot get past the Lord. When the Lord is with us and working through us and for us, His will in us cannot be stopped, and it will be accomplished, and that's an exciting and wonderful thing. A person that has the privilege of being a part of God's plan of salvation and redemption. In the Old Testament, we see lots of examples, some of which we're going to look at here in a moment, people being used to accomplish God's plan with the nation of Israel. But after the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the establishment of the church, we have a whole other group of people being used for the gospel to go out to all the world, for the message of Jesus Christ to be spread throughout the world, people having the opportunity to be a part of what God is doing in the spread of his glory in the world. It's not about wealth, and it's not about fame, but the opportunity of being a part of what God is accomplishing in the world. So some biblical examples, because it is a 
absolute constant theme from the very beginning of the scripture to the very end of scripture is that no one accomplishes God's work apart from the will and help of the Lord. So everyone that accomplishes anything for the purposes of the Lord, God is with them. He is helping them do it. His hand is upon them, his favor is upon them, and they are able to do God's will because he is with them. If we look at Joseph in Genesis chapter 39, verses 2 and 21, those are two interesting verses where it explicitly says that in slavery and in prison, that God's hand was upon Joseph and his favor was upon him. Very interesting. How is it that God's favor can be upon someone who is enslaved or in prison? But we know that those, those events were used for the purpose of accomplishing God's will of establishing Israel so that Israel was saved from a famine. You can go and read the story if you don't know it. They would have starved to death had it not been for what the Lord did through Joseph's life, the Lord with Joseph. The hand of the Lord was with Samuel, the great prophet from early on in Israel's history. It says in chapter 3, I think I actually got this wrong here. Yes, it's not 126, it's 319 if anybody happens to be taking notes. My my apologies. 1 Samuel 319 says that the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. It means that as he spoke to the people, no one would listen to any leader. There was pure chaos in the book of Judges until Samuel comes on the scene. And the Lord blesses his life in a way that people begin to listen to him. And his words carry authority and it brings order in the nation of Israel because God was with him. The hand of the Lord was with him. I turn to some of the prophets, Isaiah, Isaiah 8, 11. The hand of the Lord was upon Isaiah to preach an unpopular message. He was preaching to them about their rebellion and they did not listen, but he kept preaching. But the hand of the Lord was with him and Jeremiah and others to sustain them, to continue saying what the Lord would have them to say even if people did not listen to them. The hand of the Lord was with Isaiah. Esther fascinating story there where the the whole nation of Israel the Jews are threatened with extinction with being put to death in mass and the Lord is with her to give her success in stopping the plans of Haman and the Jews from being destroyed if we look at Ezra in the rebuilding when the people are when the people of Israel are exiled and then brought back there are two instrumental people Nehemiah and Ezra that the Lord uses his hand is upon them to reestablish the capital city and reestablish the temple and reestablish worship. It says in Ezra 7.28 that the Lord's hand was with Ezra and it caused other leading men to join him in reestablishing the temple. He could not do it himself. And so the Lord caused other people to come alongside of him and strengthen him so that together they could accomplish what needed to happen. But it's clear in the scriptures That it's not Ezra's charisma or Ezra's learning, but it's the hand of the Lord with Ezra that causes these things to happen. One of the most interesting and last uses of this phrase in the scriptures is in Acts chapter 11, verse 21, where it says that the hand of the Lord was with the church at Antioch. It was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So after Jesus had ascended into heaven and sent his disciples out to establish the church, 
It says clearly that his hand, his favor was with them in the establishing of the new church. It wasn't just that Peter was a fantastic preacher or that Paul was a good speaker, but that the Lord was with them causing something to happen because it was his will that his gospel go forward and that people believe and that this gospel continued to spread and spread and spread to the corners of the earth. And so it was evident to the people looking at the church at Antioch that it was not just a work of people. But God was at work doing something in that city that was amazing and attributed only to the Lord. Well, what does it look like for the favor of God or the hand of God to rest upon us for blessing? We can We cannot accomplish the will of God apart from the power of God. But when the favor of God is upon our life or upon our church, what should we expect? What does the favor of the Lord or what does the hand of the Lord look like when it is upon us for blessing? Because it's not exactly what we would think. And so I turn to, us, turn to the, the life of John the Baptist to help understand this, the very person at hand. For these people were looking at John the Baptist in his very beginning, his birth, and saying the hand of the Lord is upon this child. This is miraculous. What is happening here? And so what happened in John the Baptist's life? How did the blessing or the favor of the Lord work out in his life? Well, it was not normal. He lived in the wilderness and preached a message of repentance and forgiveness. But as he preached, many responded. It's not, what he preached was not normally responded to. But because God's hand was with him, something new began to happen. Many people began to repent of their sins and be baptized and were being prepared for the message of Jesus Christ. He was preaching before Jesus, making that way straight, and the Lord was blessing his ministry. He was a passionate preacher. And he was a righteous man who lived a righteous life. He preached a gospel of repentance, which means you must turn away from your sins. And so nobody, John lived a life that was above reproach. And as he preached repentance, people felt convicted of their sins. And they did turn away from their sins and believe in God and were baptized and were prepared for the coming of Jesus Christ. And we know that John went all the way to call Herod the king to repentance. When he looked at his life and saw sexual sin in his life, uh, as is recorded in the scriptures, he said, you've got to turn away from this, repent. That did not go over well with Herod. So Herod took him and jailed him for it. And he left him there in jail. And John's disciples would come to him and talk with him. And John began to doubt at that time. It's important to know that John, even with all that was happening in his life and with the favor of the Lord upon him, still had doubts about his faith. All of us have doubts about our faith in various times. And so John sends his disciples from prison and to ask Jesus, are you the Christ or should we look for another? And Jesus is patient with him and answers in a way that should confirm John's faith. But in the end, what happens with John? He's martyred. He's put to death in prison. He never leaves prison. He's beheaded there and goes to be with the Lord. But Jesus speaks of John and says this, Among those born of women, there has not arisen one greater than John the Baptist. He was a faithful, godly man whose hand the Lord was with. The Lord was with him. He blessed his ministry and caused it to multiply greatly and to usher in the coming of Jesus Christ. Every person recorded in the Bible as doing great things for the Lord were strengthened to accomplish those things by the Lord. It is not talent and passion that accomplish great things for the Lord. It is those things together with the blessing of God. 
By the hand of God, opportunities are opened and closed outside of the power of the individual. I think of Moses and his, and his sister and Miriam sets him in this little basket like, all right, God, we're not going to put him to death because we know it's wicked, but we don't know what to do with him. We're going to put him in this basket and we're going to send him out with prayer and see what happens. Well, outside of her ability, outside of her anything, the Lord causes the daughter of Pharaoh to come and draw him out because it's part of his plan because God was with Moses. Opportunities of doors or, or opportunities are opened and closed beyond our ability when the Lord is with us. Crucial events are worked out perfectly for those whose the hand of the Lord is with them. We think about the stone with David and Goliath, which is amazing to me. David, with such great faith, goes and says, you know, this, this, Goliath, this Goliath will be defeated for the glory of God. This guy's not going to come down and mock Israel over and over. He will be killed. And he gets out there and with one stone. Yes, I know David was skilled and he was good, but it's also the the favor and the hand of God on him. That stone lands exactly where it needs to land for this whole thing to be done with one shot and it gives glory to God because it's just too good to be true for one person to be able to accomplish that. Crucial events are worked out perfectly when the hand of the Lord is with us. Godly people have the opportunity to be a part of providential and miraculous events John the Baptist was able to have the opportunity to baptize Jesus, okay? If any of you have ever been a part, we had a wonderful baptismal service here a few weeks back, and it was a glorious event. And it's even more exciting to have the opportunity to baptize a new believer. And the idea of baptizing Jesus Christ is unimaginable. But John had the opportunity to do this because of, his, of the hand of the Lord being upon him and him being faithful and him living a righteous life and obeying the Lord. Godly people have the opportunity to be a part of such amazing events. For those whom the hand of the Lord is upon, God intervenes in events to change the course of the events and preserve his servants. So some of the examples of this are, are Peter in the book of Acts where he's jailed and James has been executed the day before and Peter's up next and the Lord sends an angel to spring him from prison and release him. He's a part of a miraculous event. Why? Because the hand of the Lord was upon Peter and he had plans for him, plans for Peter to serve his church later and it was not yet time for him to die. Some of the most amazing stories of God intervening I've ever read is from the missionary biography of John Patton, a missionary to uh, cannibals in the South Seas. It's just, an, it's just an unbelievable story. You can make 10 movies out of this thing for the way the Lord preserves this man's life over and over and over that he might be able to preach the gospel to these people on these islands. When the hand of the Lord is upon us, people are led by God to do things that they would not normally do. We see this in the ministry of Paul, where he's redirected to Macedonia. He wanted to go minister in one place, but by a dream, the Lord takes him in a different direction. When the hand of the Lord is with us, he will redirect our path. Sometimes we'll be going in one way, and we'll realize, that's not where I need to be going anymore. I need to be doing this. And the Lord will take us in a new direction. When the hand of the Lord is with us, people have power and wisdom to speak in ways that they could not on their own. At Pentecost, Peter gets up and is filled with the Holy Spirit and preaches a sermon that he could never have preached on his own. But by the strength of the Lord, he is able to do it. And there will be times in your life when the hand of the Lord is upon you that you'll say things or do things. You're like, I could never, how did that happen? Because I could, I could never have put that together that way. And you know that it's the Lord at work in your life. And lastly, 
Oh, we could go on many more, but the last I have here. When the hand of the Lord is with us, people are given special wisdom and sometimes dreams to be able to understand things that others cannot. There's many examples of this in the scriptures. And in Daniel chapter 2, it's one of my favorite, favorite passages related to this because literally Daniel and his friends face execution the following day if they can't come up with an answer for this king that wants to know something that nobody on earth knows. And the Lord reveals it to them in a dream. And he says, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. The Lord God knows all things, and he reveals things to his people for certain times and in certain ways, again always, that he might be glorified and that his purposes might be accomplished. Well, the application of these things, I feel like, is very, very important. The hand of the Lord or the favor of the Lord upon us, we should seek this. We should pray and seek and ask for the hand of the Lord, for the favor of the Lord to be upon our lives. For Romans 8.31 says that if God is for us, who can be against us? Again, going back to the very beginning, if God is against us, you will never be able to undo what he is doing. But if he is for you and he is undergirding your life and guiding your life and directing your life, his purposes will be accomplished in your life and nothing will be able to stop it. For if God is for us, no one can be against us. And so the beginning of this path of seeking the hand of the Lord of of favor and blessing in your life is to come to salvation to begin with. Because all of us, when we are born into this world, we begin condemned in sin and wickedness. None of us are born into favor with God. Favor with God comes from salvation. It comes by grace alone through faith alone. That we confess our sins and we believe that Jesus is who he said he was. And when we believe in Jesus Christ, we begin to live for him. And he forgives our sins and he changes our standing. He adopts us into his family. He calls us sons and daughters and our standing is changed before God because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross that he died for us as a substitute he took our guilt upon himself that we might go free and so I don't know where you stand this morning but if you do not know Christ as your savior the first step to having the hand of favor of the Lord upon your life is to come to know him to believe his word and to turn from your sins for it says in Hebrews eleven six, without faith It is impossible to please God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Believe the Lord. Believe that Jesus is who he said he was. Give your life to the Lord that his favor might be upon you. Well, once we come to know Christ as our Savior, we should seek the favor of the Lord upon our lives. Now, what do I mean by that? I believe that you should pray specifically for it. You should pray for the favor of the Lord to be upon your life. I've prayed this many, many times, especially as I go to deal with unbelievers in the world and um, go in for a job interview, go in and submit an application for college or for whatever. I pray, Lord God, direct my life. And if this is your will for this to happen, may you give me favor in the eyes of these people. And I know many times, I, I believe absolutely that's part of the reason why I'm standing here before you today. You know, I look back down through my life and some of the processes and things that I've gone through, and there's no way 
They should have hired me. They had had to have made a mistake, or they never should have picked me up for this team or that issue or whatever. But somehow, you know, I felt like it was where I needed to be, and I prayed and asked God for favor in the eyes of these people. And then He gave that favor, and it opened a door, and it allowed me to go to another place. And what happened there was ministry. It opened a door for ministry, and those doors have continued to open up until this place where we're standing right now. And there's no reason why I should be standing in front of you, but I believe the Lord's favor and his hand for blessing is upon our congregation, and we're going to get to that in a moment. But it's all for his glory. So pray that God will be glorified in your life by showing favor to you. Pray for wisdom, that as you live for the Lord, that you might be wise in the way that you live. Pray for faithfulness and steadiness and obedience and righteousness. You know, I listed off many, a number of different people, and we could go on for many other biblical examples. But most of those examples relate to certain specific events in those people's lives, whatever it may be. But all the, all the other, like, gray space in their life between this major event and that major event and that major event, what filled up the gray space of those, between those events? Faithfulness. Faithful daily living for the Lord, faithful righteousness, faithful uh, staying near to the Lord, faithfully living for God so that when a dramatic event or time came, that person was prepared and they were ready. And so part of praying for the favor of the Lord to be upon your life is that you might daily live a faithful, righteous life, that your heart would be set upon the Lord every day for small things living for Jesus. Fourth, Pray for your life to be used of God for his purposes, spreading the gospel and the glory of Christ. Offer yourself as a living sacrifice unto God. Lord God, may your hand be upon me, but may it be upon me for your glory, that I might be used for your purposes. And help me to understand what those are, that I might be involved with that, and that I might know that I'm doing what you would have for me to do. And what will happen is you will, as the Lord opens those doors and reveals those things, and you walk in obedience and faithfulness, you will have a tremendous sense of of blessing and joy in your life, knowing that you are doing what God has called you to do. There is no greater joy than walking with the Lord in a way that you know he would have you to do because the opposite is running in rebellion against the Lord and it does nothing but break your heart. Secondly, I would say, second category here, would be that you should seek the hand of God's blessing and favor upon your children. This has to do with praying for your children. You should pray for your children and pray that God's hand of blessing and favor would be upon your children. This begins with what I was talking about earlier, the gospel. The first thing that we pray for our children is for their salvation, that they would come to know Christ as their Savior. We pray for it and we seek it above all other things in the lives of our children that they might be saved. And secondly, we should pray pray against temptation and pray for their protection. We should pray very much that the hand of the Lord would be upon our children for their safety and for protection from temptation and evil. We all know there is great evil out in this world and those that would do harm to our children. And we should pray that the Lord would protect them. You should pray for their wisdom. But I I have four down here because I think it's important and I think it's lost in our day, especially as our children get older. We should pray above all things for our children 
that their lives would be lived in service to Christ and used for his glory. If we're praying for the hand of the Lord to be upon our children, it is so that they might live for the Lord and that they might be used of him and that they might do things for the Lord that would bring great glory to God and we could see that their lives are blessed because they live for the Lord. As children get older especially, we get, we get lost in, 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 in sports and in academia and there's a lot of competing priorities for our young people. But I encourage you parents and I encourage you grandparents to keep in focus the fact that your child or your grandchild living for the Lord is the most important part of their life. And everything else will begin to work its way out if they live for the Lord. Whatever God's call is upon their life, above all, we are praying for them to live for the Lord, that the hand of the Lord might be upon them for favor and for blessing. Lastly, as we see in the church of Antioch, the the hand of the Lord was upon that church, and God did great things in it. I want to pray for our church that it would be evident that the hand of the Lord is upon us for favor and for blessing, that we could see things happening in our midst and amongst our congregation that we can only attribute to the Lord and that we know that it's not just our talent, it's not money given, it is the work of the Lord in our midst doing things that we could never do. And so I ask you, as you pray for yourself, as you pray for your children, pray for our church. Pray for the hand of the Lord to be upon our church that many might come to salvation. We want to see men, women, boys, and girls coming to salvation through this church on a regular basis. We're here to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, to make disciples. And so be praying, be seeking for others to come to salvation. Pray that the work of the Holy Spirit will be clearly evident through our worship, through our love, through our service, that the hand of the Lord upon us would change our hearts towards each other, that we would not gossip against each other, but that we would love each other, that we would seek always for how to encourage each other, and that instead of there being factions here and divisions, that there would be great unity, and that we would seek to know each other and care for each other and love each other in an authentic way. And lastly, I would ask you to pray for the elders. Pray for those that lead. Pray God that, that the Lord would help us to live righteous and godly lives. That the Lord would give us wisdom. That the Lord would protect us from evil. It's always such a sad and disturbing thing when, when leaders and churches fall to temptation and it brings great hardship upon the church and it brings shame on the name of the Lord. Pray for us. Pray that we will be able to lead well and that God will protect us. Pray that the Lord will keep our church unified in service to our Lord Jesus Christ. The hand of the Lord was upon the ministry of John the Baptist, and that led into the ministry of Jesus, which then led into the ministry of the early church, which takes us to where we are now. And so I pray, may the hand of the Lord be upon you for blessing. May he be upon your children, and may the Lord's hand be upon our church. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this morning. What a blessing to be together, and we pray for these things. Lord, we pray for your hand to be with us, for if we try to go out and do the work of the Lord without your blessing, nothing will be accomplished. It will be worse than nothing. It will be people trying to accomplish only what God can accomplish. And so we give ourselves to you individually. We offer ourselves to you, praying that you will keep us from temptation, that you will help us to live faithful, godly lives individually, that you will help us in our homes and with our children to raise our children to know and to love the Lord, and that you would be working in their hearts. And then, Lord, as we gather together, 
that collectively it would be known that the Lord is with us. Lord, every time we gather together, may it be clear that your spirit is with us. And may you be honored and you be praised and worshiped in all that happens from us. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen.